scripture reading this morning will come from John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that will be on page 962. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, we welcome you. encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We appreciate so much Brother Pat Hackney and Tim Martin preaching last Sunday morning and the wonderful topic that they delivered and the wonderful way in which they did it. And keeping in mind that topic, we are under consideration uh, to find more men that will serve as deacons, and you're asked to submit those names, and you've been asked to be prayerful about that, to be studying First Timothy, the third chapter, and then submit the names, and you recall that there is a box in the information center. Uh, be sure and, and be serious about that, and, and let's make sure that we find the, the men that would best serve in that capacity. You know, we hear a lot, especially in the last 15 years, the topic of leadership has become a very frequent topic, and that's good. We need strong leadership. But let's make sure that in the church we never forget that we're not just looking for strong leadership in the church. What the Lord is looking for is strong spiritual leadership. And let's make sure that we find uh, those individuals that are willing, first, to commit their life wholly to God, and second, uh, to commit their life in leading others closer to God. And let's be prayerful about that as we find additional deacons. Isn't it wonderful that, uh, to think that 12 years ago, about this time of year, that as a congregation we moved into this new facility, what a blessing it is and what a blessing it has been. And now finally we're able to sit on the side sections and we're able to see uh, what has been projected in the past only on the screen above me. And what a blessing that is uh, for those, especially that are on the side. And if you sit on the side section and close to the walls, you already know that our sound system has a dead spot all down the sides of the wall. And uh, we're hoping to be able to resolve that issue soon also. All of this is tools to better worship God. And we're thankful to have the opportunity always to worship God. But we think about not only uh, in this next announcement of worshiping God, but we think about it reaching out and serving others. We've been asking the question for the past 12 months, if the Mount Juliet congregation ceased to exist, would anybody in the community know or care? That is a sobering question, isn't it? It's caused many of us to rethink many things about what we individually or as a congregation do or should be involved in. This coming Sunday will probably be the first time that this has ever happened in the community of Mount Juliet. It's definitely the first time it's ever happened in the life of the Mount Juliet congregation. It's well over 100 years old. The plans is that you and I will go out Sunday afternoon, this coming Sunday, October the 18th, And we will be the sermon that day. We will live out the love of Jesus Christ. We'll serve those and we will give God all the glory. Can you imagine with five or six hundred people going out in one afternoon and serving others the impact that that will have upon our community? 
You'll be hearing more in your Bible classes about opportunities for you to serve. If you missed that in the Bible classes, there'll be ways to sign up where you want to serve this coming Sunday uh, in the foyer. Uh, So be sure and and stay alert to all the plans that are being made. As you can imagine, to involve five, six, seven hundred people in service in one afternoon is going to take a lot of organization. And so a lot of that will be done through Bible classes and smaller groups. So be sure and be attentive uh, to those announcements in those places. There will be things like going to Heartside and uh, in Lebanon and cleaning windows, going down to the Mount Juliet elementary school here and finishing up some painting that they've begun on their playground but just haven't been able to finish and spread some mulch that they have piled up there. Uh, Going uh, up and down the uh, sidewalks and picking up litter in our town, distributing teddy bears to Vanderbilt Hospital, Uh, going in our widows. They've all been contacted and many of them uh, are going to allow us to come in and do some uh, just winterizing of their home and checking out uh, uh, the batteries in their fire alarm and filters and etc. Uh, mailing tracts to individuals in our community that have lost loved ones in the past uh, six months. Also dropping off Christian literature into waiting rooms throughout hospitals throughout this area. Also this week, there will probably continue to be calls made to the library, to the nursing home, to retirement villages. And I mention those to say to you, if you know of a good work that can be done. And keep in mind, we're not talking about for a business. Uh, we're, not, we're not offering that, but a good work for our community. If you know of a good work that can be done for our community, be sure and let JP know that this week. As uh, again, we're hoping to have a place for everybody to serve. Many may say, hey, I can't do something that's really hard work physically because of uh, conditions in my life. There'll be a place for everybody. A teddy bear workshop will be going on and, and just many things. So if you know of any good work that needs to be done in the community, be sure and let that be known as we look forward, first and foremost, to drawing attention to God and letting individuals see God better by seeing others serve. Also, that Sunday night, to make it convenient for everyone, there will be uh, a simple hot dog supper that evening. Service will probably be a little bit shorter since most of you will have spent very little time at home on Sunday. And so we're going to try to make it real simple for you as we come back and worship. Probably a little shorter service, a hot dog supper, and then you can go home and catch your breath after a good day. Uh, To God be the glory for all of those plans. It is not illegal to sell herbs. But it is illegal to go on TV and say that your herbs cure cancer and you have proof of it. As a matter of fact, many of you probably noticed in the news this past week that Christine Daniels has done just that. You see, she is a family physician out in California, but she's also a Pentecostal preacher. And she has gone on national TV in the past and she has said that her herbs cure cancer. As a result of that, she was able to sell to over 55 patients, charging some as little as $3,500 for her treatments, others $5,000, others $13,000. And another minister brought her, his wife to her, and after treatments, he was charged over $100,000. But it's probably not any surprise to any of us here, not that we take joy in what I'm about to say, but it's no surprise to any of us here that her patients were not cured instead Most of them died. What would you do to be healed? Do you think that individuals, this woman siphoned over a million dollars from individuals? Do you say that it's foolish? Who would do that? 
Who would spend thousands and thousands of dollars? Do you remember the story? It's a miracle as we think about achieving spiritual greatness, getting to know Jesus better. We have to understand Jesus as this great miracle worker. We've already sung about the greatest miracle that's ever been performed, the resurrected Christ. We've sung about him being able to calm the storms. But one of the ways that he had a powerful impact upon mankind was that he would come to the individuals that nobody else could help. The individuals that would wait in line if they were told that someone could cure them, except he could do it. And it wasn't through herbs, it wasn't through a rehab program, it wasn't after several weeks of them changing something about their diet. When Jesus performed a miracle, it was immediate. If you would look with me to John, to Luke, the 8th chapter. In Luke, the 8th chapter, we have in verse 43 and 44, a story that is much like Jesus' miracles as we read about. And can you imagine how this changed this woman's life? In Luke, the 8th chapter, 43, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. We just mentioned the fact that we're in an auditorium that's 12 years old. Many of you were here the day that, that we moved in this auditorium. Can you imagine being seriously ill for 12 years? Being seriously ill to the point that it would have impacted how you could have traveled about and what you could have done. This woman could not control the issue of blood that she had. Can you imagine how it made her weak? How she must have day after day gotten up and said, I've just got to lay back down. Can you imagine how it would have been an embarrassment, how it would have hindered her from being a social person? And this woman had heard that there were others that could cure her. Let's continue reading 43. And this woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had spent all of her livelihood. This is talking about money. She spent all of her money on physicians and could not be healed by them. She came from behind, talking about from behind Jesus, and she touched the border of his garments. And immediately, notice that, immediately her flow of blood stopped. Can you imagine the beautiful event that that was in the life of this woman? It's no surprise today that individuals are willing to spend all that they have when they think that someone could cure them. That was happening 2,000 years ago. But the sad reality is, oftentimes today when people ask high dollars for quick cures, it's a scam. But with Jesus Christ, it was His power. It was His miracles that immediately He could heal individuals. But isn't it interesting in the text that's been so capably read for us, if you'd like to turn back to that again, it's John, the 20th chapter. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls these signs... Never once in the book of John does John refer to the miracles of Jesus by the word miracle. Not that there's something wrong with that word. There's nothing wrong with the word wonder. But you see, John wrote this book for a reason. He records seven miracles, but all of the miracles that he recorded were chosen to point to something other than the miracle itself. Let's read this again as we look to John 20. Look at 30 and 31 again. And notice the word sign. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. They're not written in this book, but those were written that you may 
Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. Okay, so what is the sign? What is this miracle pointing to? You look at a woman that, that was healed from an issue of blood, and you say, that within itself is amazing. And John is writing, say, wait a minute. All of these miracles, they're to point to something much greater. What could be greater than a miracle like that? Believing in Jesus. Friends, you're not going to find a miracle that's greater than the act of believing in Jesus. A miracle maybe could do something supernatural, but when an individual believes in Jesus and gives and surrenders their life to Jesus, they've placed their eternity in a wonderful, wonderful position. Turn back, if you will, to John, the third chapter, and let's notice how these miracles were to identify Jesus. In John, the third chapter, you remember Nicodemus? Perhaps he is well known because he joined up with Joseph of Arimathea to bring Jesus off the cross after he had died and give him an honorable Jewish burial. But you see, he was a Pharisee that first came to Jesus in the night. Probably didn't want anybody else to know that he was coming to Jesus. And notice what we read here in verse 1 and 2. He's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. Notice, this man came to Jesus by night to him, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So first this morning, I want you to see from the two passages we've already read, the Bible makes it very clear that miracles are signs that point to the fact that Jesus must be from God. Someone could not do the acts the miracles that Jesus did, unless they had power that was greater, far greater than any human. This power had to come from God. So isn't it interesting that John records these miracles? Jesus truly is the Son of God. Do you believe in Him? But there's also another reason that the Bible tells us that miracles were allowed to take place on this earth. Back up, if you will, to Mark the 16th chapter, and let's see how the miracles were to confirm the Word of God. Let's look to Mark the 16th chapter, and we see a second point. Miracles not only confirm that Jesus is of God, but second, it confirms that His message is of God. And Mark the 16th chapter, we know this chapter probably best because of verse 15 and 16 that we usually call the Great Commission. Jesus is telling His apostles to go into the world and preach the gospel. And now, notice in 17, and He says, And these signs will follow those who believe in My name. And He tells the signs. They're going to cast out demons, speak in tongues, be able to take up servants, drink poison and not die, and they're going to be able to lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then in 20, we read these words, and they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The word of God was confirmed because miracles were being worked. How did that work? Let's say Peter. He rides into town. He preaches the gospel. Why would any Jew listen to Peter? Because after all, he hasn't been educated in their schools. He is not recognized at all as a religious leader. Because keep in mind, many that would know him well would say, Oh, you're talking about Peter? I know him. He's a fisherman. No, he's not a scholar. It would be natural and understandable for individuals to say, 
Hey, maybe his message is good, but if you expect me to believe that his message is from God, that's not going to happen unless, unless it can be proven that his message is from God. Look with me, if you will, over to Acts, the third and fourth chapter. And I, I don't think I have a screen for this. This is, this is really just something that, as I was going back over my lesson this morning, that, that came to my mind. And, and if you've been here this year, you know that we've studied a lot in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is full of application to show how the miracles were to confirm the Word of God. You remember that once the church was established in Acts, the second chapter, immediately we have Peter and John performing the miracle of this man that had been lame for over 40 years and strength is given to him. And, and when you look back in the third chapter in verse 8, notice he didn't go through a long rehab program. Notice this miracle in verse 8, third chapter. So he, leaping up, stood and walked, entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. You see how the miracles were powerful. The miracles were immediate. And as a matter of fact, when we read down in verse 12, Peter is telling the people that have gathered around, because now there's such a huge scene caused, because this man that they've seen begging, he's over 40 years old, he's been lame since his birth, and now he's able to walk about just like anyone else. That's cr created a stir. So in verse 12, Peter saw, talking about seeing everybody gathered around, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? Do you see how Peter is reeling them in to the very reason that miracles were performed? Yes, this is wonderful. This man is walking. But Peter is not going to spend the next hour talking about, isn't it wonderful how this man is going to have a lot of opportunities now in life that he didn't have before? Look, now he can get up. Now he can go to work. Now he can make a living. That wasn't why miracles were performed. Now people are willing to look at, at Peter in a new light. And Peter says, okay, now that I have your attention, do you think it was by my power that this was done? And he's going to preach them a sermon about the powerful God. You remember the Sanhedrin Council comes around, decides to arrest them, and they would love to put them to death. But you see, now there's a problem. And, and just going right to the heart of it, look in the fifth chapter in verse 15. We haven't changed stories. It's the same story here. Look at the fifth chapter. And uh, the council has brought them together. And look in verse 16, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Friend, Peter could and did stand up and preach messages, but anybody that wanted to could have denied their message. Oh, I don't want to believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God. I don't want to believe, Peter, that you have some kind of special message. I just think that you're some Galilean that's lost your way down here in the Jerusalem town. You know what they couldn't deny? This man that was lame standing right beside them. You see what the Sanhedrin Council is saying? We've got to deal with these guys, and now this miracle is changing the way we deal with them. Because now they have evidence. See, he said it was evident. They have evidence we can't deny. That was their wording. That's why miracles were done. To place men and women in a position 
where they had to do something with the reality that these men and their message cannot just be of man. It must be of God. So then the question then would fall on each individual. What are you going to do with this message? It's proven now it's from God. What are you going to do with this message? As you're turning to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, what would happen if somebody decided to just neglect that message? In Hebrews, the second chapter, of course, now we're much later into the New Testament. And it's interesting how now the discussion actually arises. And, and, and he says in verse 2 about this word that was spoken through angels. And then in verse 3, we're in Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The Hebrew writer kind of reviews things and says, let's talk about this message. How powerful is it? It's so powerful that if someone doesn't obey it, They could never escape damnation. The only way we can be saved is to accept this this message. Well, again, why would anybody accept it? He goes ahead and he refers back to that. In verse 3 he says, Because it was presented in a way that man could not ignore. Miracles, wonders, signs, even the, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit... All of that was to confirm that this message is and was from God. As we think about this, though, I'd like to kind of, in this last point, just kind of take and, and, and put a spin on this. That, that, and I only use that phrase to say maybe make us think a little bit differently, but it's not my spin. It's from the Word of God. Think about this. Point number one this morning was miracles helped us understand that Jesus was from God. Point number two, miracles helped us understand that the Word of God was from God, even when men on earth spoke it. But then these men wrote it down. And so now someone comes up today to you and says, I've got something powerful. I've got a miracle. How do you know if they're right? Now that we have the written Word, You use the Word itself to see if they're right. You see, it was the miracles that confirmed the Word. Now it's going to be the Word that confirms whether or not men and women's actions are truly just or true. One place we can go to see this is 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Look with me, if you will. We're referring here to verses 9 through 12. And there is real powerful phrases on what we're studying, especially in 10 and 12. But look at verse 9. And, and we're going to bring up a topic here as we read this that I don't think anybody on earth has all the answers to. And that is, how much power does Satan have? We know that, that God puts barriers around Satan to not tempt, so that he cannot tempt us above what we're able to stand, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. But how much power does he have? Well, he brings up something here that I don't think we can tell all the details of this. But notice in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. You see, Satan has power too. His power is deceptive. He uses his power to lie. That's what's referred to there in verse 9. Notice the solution in 10. 
and with all unrighteousness, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now let's pause there just for a moment. Why does individuals perish? Why do individuals perish? Why do they get wrapped up in the lies of Satan? Why do they get wrapped up in the power of Satan? Why do they perish? Notice he says, because. He answers it very clearly there in verse 10. Because they do not receive the love of the truth. This morning, I ask you a question that is elementary in the way it sounds, but there is nothing simple about this. Do you love the truth? The Lord says we perish if we do not love the truth. Someone says, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but I just don't really think that God would really care. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All you have to do right there is pause and say, do you love the truth? Or how many times have we heard someone say, I just don't believe that every one of those people could be wrong. Oh, so now we're going to start finding our, our compass of direction based on the majority? Do you love the truth? Romans 3 and verse 4, if every man is a liar, God is still true. It doesn't matter how many people are wrong. We're not changing God. Well, I tell you what, I just grew up this way and, and the way I feel about my religion, I, I, I feel great. The question should never be how I feel. The question should be simply this. Do I love the truth? Friends, I'm not giving you an opinion here. I'm, you and I are reading directly from the Word of God. We cannot be saved unless we love the truth. We will perish if we don't love the truth. Why? Because if you don't love the truth, what is left to love? Now just reflect on that for a moment. If you're not going to love the truth, what's the only other thing to love? Well, it sounds worse that way, doesn't it? I love lies. I love deception. Somebody says, I don't want to say that. Well, it's that simple. Either I love the truth, or I believe in delusions. And that's where we come to this next verse in, in verse 11. And for this reason, what's the reason? The reason is when people don't love the truth. For this reason, God will send them strong delusions. Now notice, this is just a part of nature. God's not sending it as if, let's put it this way. Did God send a sunrise this morning? Yes, God sent a sunrise this morning. Was it different from any other sunrise? No. In the beginning of time, God created all of this about nature. Did God create the fact that individuals would be blessed when they follow truth? Yes, He created that. All the way back in, in the Garden of Eden, He created that. Did He create that if individuals do not want to follow the truth, they can believe a lie? Yes, He created that. All the way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden. So we can either believe a lie, or we can accept the strong delusions that are sent when we do believe the lie. And now He says in 12 and 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie. And now notice again in 12, the plea, and they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
Isn't it amazing how 10 and 12 places believing and loving the truth direct correlation with salvation. And to not is directly involved in believing the lie and in condemnation. And I close, if you will, in Luke the 16th chapter just to illustrate this. We've just seen the principle. I'd just like to take a story in the Bible to illustrate it. You remember when Jesus tells the story about the rich man Lazarus dying and immediately Lazarus was escorted to a place of comfort in Abraham's bosom, but the rich man, he found himself in torment and he lifted up his eyes and, and, and torment was all about him and he called across this gulf that, hey, just send uh, Lazarus over and give me a, just one drop of water on my tongue from, from his fingertips. And remember, he's told, hey, that gulf cannot be crossed. And then it dawned on him. Well, if I'm here for an eternity, this is a terrible place to be. And back on earth, I have five brothers that they're living the same life I'm living. In other words, they're not loving the truth. They're going to be in the same place that I am, and I don't want that to happen. And so he starts making this plea with them. And look in 28, as he says, For I have five brothers, they may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And, And back in the previous verse, he's saying, Send Lazarus back. Let him teach my brothers the truth. And Abraham says to him in 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now keep in mind, Moses and the prophets weren't alive at this point. He literally is referring to the scriptures. They have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of the prophet. In other words, they have scripture written down. And notice what his answer is in 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Let's put that in other words. Father Abraham, if you take them just a Bible and you lay in front of them, they're not going to serve you or you're not going to serve your God. But Father Abraham, if you perform a miracle, they will serve your God. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that. Lord, if if you will just heal my wife... I will faithfully serve you. In other words, Lord, if you put a miracle in my life, I'll believe you and I'll serve you. Lord, I don't know how I got myself into this situation. If you can just miraculously remove me from this situation, I'll now start to serve you. In other words, Lord, your word is not powerful enough. But if you can perform a miracle, then I'll follow your word. And you notice what his answer is? 31, he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Friends, we could have Jesus Christ standing in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and work miracles all afternoon, this afternoon. And if I understand the Scriptures right, There wouldn't be one soul saved in greater number than what would already be saved because we have the powerful Word of God. The greatest miracle has already been worked. It's the resurrected Lord. The miracles that confirm this to be the Word of God They have done their job. And now, if we want something that's more powerful than a miracle in our life, live by this word.
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Watch the transformation that can take place in lives. Look at the difference that can be made in people's eternity. Friends, that word is powerful. This morning, if we can help you in any way, as you seek to move closer to God, as you seek to learn His word better, if you know what the Lord asked you to do to be saved and you haven't done it, why not do that this morning as one who believes and is willing to repent of sins and confess before men and be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've done that and along the way you've left the teachings of His Word. There's nothing that you can do more powerful in your life than to come back to the truth. It's more powerful than any miracle. If we can help you in any way, because we stand as we sing.